Thank you, Tim and Stacy, for leading us in those songs. Stacy, thanks for that prayer. Uh, and thanks especially for that song we just closed out with, uh, It Is Well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that song in this moment. Uh, I was talking this weekend about a life of constant prayer and that one of the ways we can do that is by letting a lyric of a song become our mantra, be something that's inside of our, our heads and let it kind of wash over and guide our day. And I don't know about you, but there's one line from it as well that always sticks out to me where, where Stacy's saying, let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. Uh, and I don't know about you, but as I'm feeling some of the anxiety of feeling stuck in a home with the same uh, few people and, and not a lot of options to get out, uh, it's important to remember for me that, that my soul can let go that the waves and winds still know his name, even the coronavirus itself knows his name, and that this world is ultimately in God's hands. So thank you for that. Uh, but now I want to continue on into this uh, series that we've been a part of called Shook, where we look at the shocking and extraordinary actions of Jesus in his life, unfiltered by all the things we think we know about Jesus, but just letting uh, scripture and Christ's actions speak for themselves. And so I'm going to be reading to you from the entire chapter 14 uh, of Mark. I've cut a few things for time, but by and large, we're just going to start at the beginning and go to the end of Mark chapter 14 as we look at the extraordinary thing Jesus did this week. I think it's especially timely for us here in 2020. So Mark 14. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they argued, or the people may riot. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. In the evening of Passover, Jesus arrived with the twelve in an upper room. And as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. From there they went out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. But Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove uh, called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and he fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried. Out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. 
He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. And when he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. (laughs) Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. And then all of his disciples deserted him and ran away. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore their clothes uh, to show their horror, and they said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some of them began to spit on him, and they blindfolded him, and they beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. <laughs> the cards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter went uh, into the courtyard below, and one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely, and she said, you are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. And just then, a rooster crowed. And when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter, and they said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. But Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord, the shocking moment of Jesus' life that we're going to be talking about tonight. And as I reflect on this passage, I'm not sure what jumped out at you, but what jumped out at me was there's a consistent uh, set of actions by the people around Jesus. 
There's a way that all the people, the Pharisees, the disciples, uh, the, the high leaders, uh, and the people of the courts, there's a way that they're all acting. And it begs this question, what is justice? What is fair? Justice and fairness, they're, they're pretty complicated concepts. You can go all the way back to the, the first codified set of laws, the Code of Hammurabi, and, and there's a line uh, that uh, the people have talked about forever where it says, an eye for an eye. The Bible itself in Leviticus, it codifies that as one of the laws uh, that's in that book where it says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that feels like that is a, a sense of fairness and justice. If you gouge out someone's eye, you should lose your eye. That seems like that is fair. And yet, as uh, Gandhi is reputed to have said, uh, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. This thing that seems just, this thing that seems fair, is actually the thing that it results in untold suffering for everyone involved. You know, all of these codes, going back to Hammurabi, you know, up through medieval times, uh, where they had a uh, wear guild and blood prices, were all ways of trying to figure out what was a fair thing to do. But in practice, what it, what it worked out was that when you have uh, a blood price or when you have um, a feud where, you know, oh, they killed someone in my family, now we get to kill someone in their family, in practice, it only ever escalates. One person's killed, so then um, that person's family kills the person, kills the murderer. But then the murderer's family, they now feel like they're owed retribution for the ones who killed them. And so they strike back, and soon you have never-ending war and strife. And at the end of the day, the whole world's blind, the whole world's dead. Even what seems like such an obviously fair concept, eye for an eye, when taken to its logical conclusion, doesn't bring justice to the world. Or it certainly doesn't do it in any way that also brings joy or peace. Uh, it's the justice of everybody's dead, which is fair, but it's not the kind of life that we would want for ourselves and the people we love. And I think it's especially timely as we're now in the midst of a national and a global conversation as what's fair right now. What should people have to do to protect some in a society? And as we're wrestling with that question, as it's certainly looming large in my household uh, and probably in yours as we are sitting there anxious and quarantined and isolated. Uh, we have a lot of time to think about what's, what's fair and right. As I've been wrestling with uh, some of the Italian doctors releasing their statements and their philosophy now of who they're going to treat and how and when they're going to treat them, it's time to really think deeply about that. And what I would say is eye for an eye is a starting place, but in the passage we're reading today, we're seeing the finishing place through Jesus. See, if you didn't notice it, here is the common behavioral attribute of everyone that's in this story besides Jesus. Everyone around him lets Jesus down. Everyone in his life betrays him. And it's the whole spectrum of people. It's the people who hate him, the enemies that you would expect uh, would betray him and treat him badly. But even Judas, one of the 12, even uh, the other 11 who, who didn't make active plans to betray him for money, they scattered when the guards came. Even Peter himself who swore he would never deny Jesus at the, at the end of the, of the scenario, at the end of the passage today, he lets Jesus down just as surely as Judas did, as the Pharisees did, as the high priest and the people bearing false witness against Jesus did. They all let Jesus down. They all deserve some form of retribution and justice, right? There should be a consequence for what they did. And in fact, that's 
what Jesus is the only person who has the authority to levy out to them. He is God incarnate. If there is one person in the world who can judge, it's Jesus. Which means if there's one person in the world who can pay everyone back what they deserve, the Pharisees, Judas, the high priest, the court people, the false witnesses, Peter himself, Jesus is the one who knows exactly what they deserve. And so what does Jesus do? How does he pay them back for their betrayal or for their failures? He forgives them. He reminds them even in the midst of their lies. He says, the son of man will come in glory. And when he comes in glory, it is to rescue his people. Not to primarily to bring judgment and condemnation, but to come to lift us up out of sin, out of a broken and hurting world, out of the consequences of our actions and the actions of others around us. That's the response Jesus gives. And it's the moment where God himself broke a cycle of justice and death. A cycle that might have been fair, but that ultimately meant no one had life, no one had peace, no one had joy. And what it takes to break those cycles is for one person, someone to say, yes, you wronged me. Yes, you gouged out my eye, but I'm going to choose to forgive you. I'm going to choose not to gouge out your eye. And God himself, who has the most power and the most authority, he was the one who went first in that choice. We, as human beings, descendants of those who have gone before, we are heirs of those very people who did the worst thing that you can imagine. They actually put God to death. And if Jesus could look those people in the eye as they are leading him to the cross and he could say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus could do that to the very people who were killing him, how much more can we offer to those who are hurting us in different ways knowing that we have had eternal life accomplished for us in Jesus' name. Knowing that however this current virus, uh, plague, and pandemic goes, we, our ending is the same. We have a guarantee of eternal life in heaven with Christ. And whether we get to meet him now or whether we get to meet him in 20 or 50 years, either way, we're meeting Jesus because he paved a way for us. And if that is true for us, how can we then be people who don't respond eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? How can we be people who when uh, leaders or others let us down, who when people we supposedly love betray us or hurt us, how can we look at what Jesus did and change our own actions? And I don't know about you, but I especially needed to wrestle with this topic this week because I love my family, for example, uh, but I realize how much I love them when I don't necessarily have to see them 24 hours out of the day, when I can go to work and they can go to school or my wife can go to her own work and then we can reconvene and we can have a time of, of peace and reconnection in the evening, that's, um, that's a good thing. But when we feel like we're, we're stuck with each other and, and the nerves start to get a little short and things that maybe would have rolled off my shoulders a few days ago, they don't roll off my shoulders so easily or that thing that my child does that's so cute when I have to see it, when I only get to see it one time, uh, is less cute when I have to see it about 10 times in a row. In these moments, it's going to be so tempting, so natural, so easy to let frustration and anxiety rule the day. 
to respond to the close quarters with annoyance towards the very people that we care about. And in this moment, I'm looking to spend more time in prayer, more time asking God, how can I internalize what he did for me? How can I take this moment where my wife or my kids are grating on me or putting me in a, in a position where I feel frustrated or tense, and instead of responding in like uh, method, instead of responding with a laugh, a smile, a little bit of grace, a little bit of forgiveness, trying to show love and joy to the very people that I supposedly care about the most. This is what we have an opportunity to do. We should be spending time in prayer, but as we are more isolated than ever, we need to be connecting with those that we can connect with, with not a continuation of whatever their own anxieties or hurt are prompting them to do towards us, but with a breaking of the cycle for them and even for ourselves. I encourage you to read Mark 14 this week and uh, maybe spend some time in prayer about that. Uh, But this is the word of the Lord. This is what I think God would have us be focusing on this week. Amen.